This is The Good List. I'm Tish Oxenreiter. This is an idea. When I first announced in January that 2020 would be my long-running blog, The Art of Simples, last year, after 12 years of consistent publishing, I thought it would be the longest year thus far in my writing life, that I'd finally say all the things I've wanted to say but kept tucked in my pocket, that I'd have all kinds of brain space to reflect and debrief about what AOS has meant to me the past decade plus. Of course, I didn't know what 2020 would bring, and that with it, this blog's last year would be kind of an afterthought for me. Not that I wouldn't care, I would, deeply, but that, like so many of us, much of my brain space and energy had to focus on a new way of survival. So here we are in October, and I can scarcely believe that in two months, I'll be keeping just a few lights dimmed for those who want to continue reading the archives, of which there are many. And I'll admit that it's been hard to know just what to say on the blog this year. With all the everything going around us, gestures widely, from the global pandemic and quarantine to our country's election and everything in between, it's been challenging to walk the tightrope of saying encouraging things without being trite and of saying things that need to be said without being just another loud voice. So with two months left of keeping the art of simple as an active blog, here are a few things I've learned about working well in a sort of year I never expected for its last one. And the first thing is, it's okay to not be exceptional. It's more than okay, actually. Many of us in our 30s and 40s grew up with this notion that we needed to be remarkable and, quote, live a big story in order to make sense of our lives, to make a dent in our short time on earth. This idea is rampant in the world of entrepreneurialism, digital publishing, and self-employment. In order to stand apart in the fiercely competitive business world of the internet, you have to constantly scale your work. It has to grow, find new and more fans, and continually evolve to stay relevant. And boy, is that exhausting. It flies in the face of all the current advice about running a business, leadership, and digital platform growth, but I say it's perfectly okay to be ordinary. In fact, some might say it's a sign of mental health when you eschew the pressure to stand out from the crowd. Every day on our literary London trips, we pause for a deep group discussion. So far, this trip has been for women artists, entrepreneurs, and leaders, So the conversations revolve around the thing these sorts would care about. A delightful Aussie was part of our 2019 strip, and she told us about a common idea in Australia and New Zealand that I still think about regularly. It's called tall poppy syndrome. Essentially, it's the idea of disparaging someone for choosing to elevate or rise above the expectations of their peers. Being a, quote, tall poppy is largely seen as a negative because it's seen as thinking too highly of yourself. In my mind, being a tall poppy is both negative and positive in that it promotes egalitarianism, and yet it can also discourage reaching one's full potential. But I think it's interesting that this is even the widely held belief of a culture because I can't think of anything more opposite to the American mindset of overachievement. 
here in the States, we are infused with the idea of being tall poppies. And to not want to be a tall poppy is to settle for ordinary. This year, more than any of all my other years of writing online, but honestly, it's gradually been coming the previous three or so, I have learned to embrace being an average height poppy. If being an ordinary poppy means not being a slave to continual growth, obsessing over metrics, and feeling like I always have to say something and constantly post, I'll take it. I'll just be over there blooming just fine. I'll talk about two other things I've learned about work this year. Right after this short break, I'll be right back. This episode is sponsored by Third Love, who makes the most comfortable and best-fitting bras ever. As part of them sponsoring The Good List, they let me pick out some bras to try out so I could tell you firsthand how they really are. Well, it would have been a challenge picking straight from their stock of over 80 sizes in 21 different styles. But with their Fit Finder quiz, it took less than a minute to help me determine which of their more than 80 sizes fit me best. Okay, so I picked some out, got them, wore them, and to be honest, I don't have much to say because I keep forgetting that I'm wearing them. I'm so used to fidgeting with my previous bras with straps that slip or even having that nagging thought that I can't wait until the end of the day to get into something more comfortable. You know what I'm talking about. Nope, these bras just quietly and confidently do what they're made to do. One little secret to their success is that they don't simply take one size of bra and then scale it up or down to come up with different combinations. They actually build each size from scratch, taking body and breast shape individually into account. That's why they've ended up with over 80 different sizes. So odds are they've got your size and shape combination. And they're so sure that you'll love your new third love bras that they even give every customer 60 days to wear it, wash it, and put it to the test. So if you don't love it, returns and exchanges are free and easy. Third Love knows there's a perfect bra for everyone, and so they're offering you 10% off your first order. What you do is you go to thirdlove.com slash goodlist. That's goodlist with no space to find your perfect fitting bra and to get 10% off your first purchase. So that's thirdlove.com slash goodlist for 10% off. Okay, so the first thing I've learned about work this year is that it's okay, in fact, more than okay, to be an ordinary poppy. Here's the second one. Our metrics for success are really odd. Seriously now, I won't spout again my current feelings about social media because it makes me feel like that old man yells at Cloud Simpsons thing. If you read my newsletter or follow me pretty much anywhere on the internet, you already know I side-eye its role in our culture. But only recently, I had this realization. The metrics of social media are also just weird. It really is. For us to ask our business leaders, politicians, artists, writers, or any other sort of community member to publicly say something witty, important, pithy, funny, groundbreaking, controversial, comforting, or wise at regular near-daily intervals And then for us to, quote, vote on them with thumbs ups and hearts and for us to measure its success on that number displayed is a really strange way to decide what's important in our society. 
and yet we do it all the time. And it can really mess with our heads. It was rumored not too long ago that certain platforms like Instagram were toying with the idea of hiding numbers publicly, and I am such a fan of that concept, yet I don't see it happening right now, and I'm not sure it'll come to fruition. So regarding work, and specifically in my line of work of mostly writing, it's not just the idea of whether social media is morally good, evil, or neutral. It's also the idea that it's distracting. Yes, it's good to cultivate and communicate with an audience that likes your work. And I'm so grateful social media has helped me do what I do. Though, side note, it doesn't hold as powerful a place as it purports itself to have. But its never-endingness and its screams for attention pull so many well-meaning artists away from doing the things they'd truly rather do. And that's create something that stands the test of time. I like social media when it allows us to talk to each other, and I loathe it when it keeps score on who matters based on how addicted they are to it. This year, I've chosen to give it less attention, and I've paid a bit for it. I'm hedging my bets, though, that my work will be better off in the long run because of that. And then the third thing I have learned from working this year is that we all crave art. In all this entrepreneurying and creating and publishing, we still long for beauty in our lives and we'll pay the price if we focus too much on content creation for other people without savoring art ourselves. So work daily, yes, and work hard and smart and do the things you're meant to do. Of course, I'm all for that. But stop every day and just enjoy life. You know, always carry a novel with you so you have something to do besides the anxious scroll. Light a candle or listen to music as you work so you remember checking off your to-do list isn't all there is. Go on a walk every day so you make sure you daily step on crunchy leaves and look at grass and trees and maybe a neighbor. Work well and then be done with it. And take care of yourself with a regular daily dose of art of all types. You're not a machine. You don't exist to check off a to-do list, and the purpose of your life is not productivity. So these are the work-related things I've learned in the last year of The Art of Simple, perhaps more than anything else. Hi, Tish. This is Alicia calling from Long Island, New York, and I have an idea that I'd like to share. I know many of your listeners, and you included, are readers and love books, And this summer, the book club that I've been a part of for the last couple of years has done things a little different, and this is the idea that I want to share. We have met weekly every Saturday morning for what we call Books and Breakfast. We meet at 8.30, and um, the idea behind this change to our normal monthly let's get together and discuss a book is the pandemic and the lack of books that we've been able to access because our library has been closed being here in New York. But coming together each week just to talk about what we're reading has been really fun. And another cool part of this idea is that we've been sitting outside on the porch because it's it's pretty nice here in the summertime and still is in many parts of the world. And there's been no pressure on the hostess to have to put together food, bev- you know, a beverage or um 
we've just all brought our own. It's got the, the BYOB aspect to it. So you bring your books that you want to talk about. You bring your own beverage. You bring your own back breakfast. We sit outside, and we just talk about what we've been reading. And so each week we um, establish a theme. So, for instance, uh, last week uh, people were talking about travel memoirs and uh, favorite books in that category. We've talked about cookbooks. We've talked about gardening. We've talked about nonfiction. We've talked about fiction. But if your book club feels like it's in a bit of a rut, this could be a really good change of pace. And it has the fun of just hearing what people, um, what books they've been sharing and, and reading lately. And then also the element of not having to maybe um, host with preparing lots of food items. That's all fun and good. And in fact, our group is going to come back and discuss a book that we'll all read. But this has been a nice interlude uh, just to change things up. We were also desperate to see each other and coming together weekly and just uh, sharing more more book titles has been very rewarding. And all of our TBR lists have blown up. Um, so I offer that as an idea to listeners that they may really enjoy just um, this change of pace for if you're used to meeting only monthly, maybe do a month where you could meet weekly and just talk about other types of books that you're reading and go from there. So anyway, that's my idea. I hope it's something that can be beneficial to other listeners as well. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks so much to Alicia for sharing with us what's on her good list. A little reminder that Advent is coming up super fast. It's November 29th this year. So now is the time to get my latest book, Shadow and Light, A Journey into Advent. Go to shadowandlightadvent.com for details, including how you can join a brand new thing we're doing, an Advent community, so that you have support, ideas, and encouragement for walking through Advent in your own home in a way that works for you. I would love to have you join us. So again, all of this is at shadowandlightadvent.com or just use the link I've got in the show notes of this episode, number 49 of The Good List. As a reminder, I'm on Twitter at Tish and every now and then on Instagram at Tish Oxenwriter, but I mostly like to connect with you through my free weekly email called Five Quick Things, which I send out most every Friday morning. To get it, go to fivequickthings.email and sign up for free or again, just find the link in this episode's show notes. Music for the show is by Kevin McLeod, and thanks as always to Caroline Tissell and Kyle Oxenwriter for their help, as well as my furry intern, Jenny. I'm Tish Oxenwriter, and I'll be back with you soon. Thanks for listening to The Good List.